This is the Diamond Hogs Podcast with Mason Choate and Robert Stewart. All right, you are uh, tuned in to the Diamond Hogs Podcast, doing things a little bit differently right now. Um, most people are used to listening to this on Mondays and Fridays, sometimes Thursdays, and uh, it's it's the off-season, of course, but we're also trying something new. So for those who don't know, I've taken over as managing editor at hogbeat.com, trying to try some new things out with our podcast network that we're starting up and so this is really a trial run for stuff that we're going to do during football so um that's what we're doing this for that's why we're doing it at 2 30 on a tuesday and also we're doing it at 2 30 on a tuesday because if we don't do it now it's this episode is probably not going to get done because football starts up on uh tomorrow on wednesday so that's why it's happening today for those who are like what the heck is going on why did mason say something at like noon today and we only had a couple hours that's why but this episode is going to be dedicated to talking about the roster turnover for the Arkansas baseball team, something that we we kind of hit a little bit um, during our draft recap episode. If you didn't check that out, you can go listen to it on the Hogbeat YouTube or uh, type in Hogbeat Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcast, you can find it there. And uh, so, but this episode is not, you know, we don't want to talk about the MLB draft a whole lot, but I feel like really we need to start with this. Guys, when you start with Julian Bosnick signing with the Pirates, uh, he was transferring in from South Carolina to Arkansas. That's that was the plan. You know, he was probably going to be an important arm on next year's staff. And Cabo, I want to start with you. Why is it that he ended up signing? Because I feel like a lot of people expected him not to, including I believe the Pirates GM even came out and said he thought that they were done signing. And then, you know, close to the deadline, like a few minutes before the deadline, he signed. Yeah. And if any Arkansas fan watched Ben Charrington last year when they drafted Braylon Bishop out of Texarkana, they know that he's going to do everything he can to save a nickel. And I think he did that this year. Uh, with them getting Tamar Johnson in the first round, knowing that they could you know, give him a number that would save a little bit you know, in the, in the later rounds, Charrington's notorious for drafting in the late rounds and getting a value. Uh, they've set up a really good farm system. And – They've done it via the draft. Yeah, they had some trades, but um, I think they had six hundred seventy-nine thousand uh, dollars between two picks that they could use, and that—that's without going into the penalty phase of you know with the bonus pool. So, I think Bosnick had to do a double take. So there, there's a lot of weighing factors, and I talked to uh, someone that's with with the Arkansas baseball team last week. They said it's 50-50 on Bosnick. We think it's 50-50 right now. And I, 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 that was about right in my eyes. So you get somebody that's coming off an injury, you really don't know what's going to happen. If you look at the guys that had injuries that were related to Arkansas's 2023 roster in terms of Peyton Paulette, went under TJ, was not going to pitch next year, went high enough to get selected, signed for 1.5. He's going to start his major league career next year. Cole Phillips went number 57 to the Braves, 1.5 million, 1.49 and change. There's a lot of unknown, especially if you come after Tommy John surgery and you don't know if you're going to bounce back just as well. Are you going to have to have a year of getting used to things? Or, and then your second year is your big year. Bosnick didn't have that luxury. He, he came back to, he, you know, committed to Arkansas thinking, okay, I can go be a dude there because they've got a young staff. They've got a lot of guys that are going to be moving on. This is somewhere that I could fit in. And he's seen them up close and personal the last two years. He's a really good SEC arm. I think he took what he got because that was going to be his floor. If he came back, pitched at Arkansas, it didn't go as well. He may go in the 18th, 19th, 20th round and sign for 25000 So he took what he could get. It was a number that, you know, was close to what he was wanting, and he ended up signing. That happens every day, and uh, it's bad for Arkansas fans because they were looking for that veteran arm like Cody Franks on the left side to come in, and Bosnick was that guy. It was going to be pushing for an SEC weekend spot. Uh, so that that that's the biggest thing, and if you break it down and look at it, it made sense for him in the long run. Yeah. I mean, on the bright side, though, for Arkansas – you know, they kept Zach Morris. Um, I don't know if a lot of people were super scared of him um, leaving, but it, it was a, a good sign when he decided to say, hey, I'm coming back to Arkansas. Another guy is coming back to Arkansas, Brady Slavens. Robert, 
I don't know if we expected Brady Slavens to be coming back to Arkansas. He didn't get drafted. And uh, I don't know. You felt like he was probably going to end up signing as a free agent. But he had that extra year of eligibility, and I'm sure he probably didn't get the number he wanted or the situation he wanted. And, you know, there's it's a really good situation in Fayetteville. So I, I think that it's probably the best decision for Brady Slavens to come back. I don't know, Robert, do you feel like it's one of those situations where maybe it's not so much you come back to Arkansas because you can get better, but maybe you come back to Arkansas because it's just the best situation available? Uh, I mean, the way I saw it, it was like, you know, he even if he comes back to Arkansas this year, I don't see him. I don't see him improving his draft position. I don't, I don't see him getting drafted in 2023. So, you know, maybe he realizes his baseball play playing days are coming to a conclusion. And why not spend your last year in Fayetteville where you've had two really good years uh, so far? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's a good decision for him. As far as the overall outlook of this Arkansas roster for next season, I feel like a lot of people are really, I guess, there's a lot of disappointment from what I have gathered from the people who follow Razorback baseball closely. And you have a lot of, you know, very fair weather fans, especially with baseball. But the people who follow the roster closely realize that this team lost a lot in the lineup. They're only returning two guys now from the starting lineup, which is Brady Slavens and Peyton Stovall. Uh, hey, you know, what, I don't know it was only supposed to be one. So the fact that it right. was two is <laughs> it was. And I mean, like if you think about it, if you look at how good Kendall Diggs is doing in the, the Appalachian League, I mean, yeah. like that makes you feel better. Jace Borofin is another guy that's gonna be returning who's been with the team for a year now. That's that's a good thing as well. Um, and of course the pitching staff's gonna be really good. But the big question is these JUCO guys that are coming in because you didn't get a whole lot of D1 transfers. Uh, Jared Wagner out of Creighton, Tavian Josenberger out of Kansas, Hudson Polk, the catcher out of Oklahoma, Cal Kilgore from New Mexico State, he's a catcher as well, and then John Bolton from Austin P. Uh, Cabo, I think the, the position that a lot of people want to know about, and Christian, we'll get to you here in a minute. I, I don't want to forget about Christian, but uh, Cabo, I think a lot of people want to know about the catcher position. How are you feeling about the catcher position? I'm like everybody else. I'm kind of baffled. And I think that's the best word to describe it. I know a lot of the JUCO catchers that are out there. Kilgore actually played a couple of weekends with us with the prospects a couple of years ago. And he was okay. He was really thin, uh, about 165, 170. And you get that, you know, from, you know, juniors going into their senior year. That, that stuff kind of happens where they can really mature afterwards. So uh, you got him. You got – Somebody that a, a player that was that didn't make it at Arkansas State that went to Eastern Oklahoma and he, he'll do okay, but I don't think he's a starter. I think Polk is the the favorite going in based on everything that you've seen up to this date. There were some guys that I know that we as a travel ball club reached out to this coaching staff and said, Hey, these are a couple of guys you may want to look at they're going to be looking for a home. And I think it would be a really good fit. Those guys weren't high enough on the list. That's understandable. That happens every time. We can't just call up, you know, a coach and say, hey, this guy's ready to go. Take him. Or, you know, it's it's your fault. You know, that's not now that, how the recruiting game works. So I think when they told Dylan Leach in, in April that, hey, we got a couple of guys, we got to, we're going to bring in a couple of guys. The three that they brought in weren't the guys on the top of their list. They, I just don't see that how, how it could happen. So we've obviously talked about the guys that have went in the draft, Price from Mercer, uh, Skeens as well talked about, even though he's a pitcher now, maybe hitting. But um, it's just going to be, you know, when you talk about catching and you, you hear it from SEC coaches all the time, what they look for is, how you receive, how you block, how you throw, how you handle a staff, your 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 mental capacity for doing that. And then the last thing is hitting. We were fortunate with Michael Turner because he's a pro hitter. Opus was not a good hitter. Uh, Grant Cook did okay, did good with the long ball. You know, going back to Wise, McCann was offensive guy. But, you know, the, the, they need that guy that's going to be able to, to, to control a running game, shut it down, 
and be a de- good defensive catcher and let the offense come from somewhere else. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, like I said, I'm baffled by it right now, but I think there's some there's some good things to look at. I think Polk, you know, in, in my eyes, is the guy that can come in and, and get the job done. Yeah, I mean Polk coming over from Oklahoma. Uh, he's he's. I if I look at the guys because. You look at it, if you look at it from a statistical standpoint, then Roland is the guy as far as at the plate because I mean yeah. he just mashed. But that was you mentioned he's he's from Eastern Oklahoma State and it's like how how good of competition are they playing compared to you know Polk at Oklahoma who didn't really play, but it seems like you know the few times that he did play, I know in his one start he at least had a home run. I think he hit like two for four or something like that. I have to go back and look, but um, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see that one and Christian. We'll bring you in here, buddy. I love I love Christian. Uh, for people who don't realize, Christian built a spreadsheet for us of like the entire roster. So like he's been looking at it. I'm curious, you know, Christian. I don't know how in depth you've looked at it from a statistical standpoint, but of the JUCO guys, which there's like a ton of them, who impresses you the most? I mean, I th- I feel like Harold Cole might be the answer, but is is it him or maybe somebody else? Yeah, so first of all, I was actually about to ask about about the catching situation. So it's funny you, you asked that. Um, and as far as, as far as the Juco guys, I noticed that we have just a ton of infielders coming in. So, Cabo, maybe you can elaborate on some of that in a little bit. But just what yeah. do you think of all these infielders coming in? Harold Cole is probably one of my most intriguing guys coming into the season. Where is he going to play, short, second, or third? And then um, I had another question later, but I, I can save it for after. So – if you look at the infielders, and the, the, no matter if you bring them in from transfer portal, JUCO, or just from the high school rank, so those are your three avenues that you're getting. Those are your those are your revenue streams, so to speak. If you're talking on business terms, you look at the 2020 class when they brought in, they had Mason Wynn, Ethan Bates, uh, the Michael Brooks, uh, Robert Moore, all these guys that were shortstops, and they're like, well, why are they signing six shortstops? Because those guys can play other positions. The shortstop is the most athletic player on the field, uh, uh, usually. You know, that's what you're looking at. So th- that's your most athletic position and your most versatile guy. You know, they have a strong arm because they, they had the longest throw. Um, you got somebody that's usually pretty pretty fleet of foot. They don't have to be a 6'2", 6'3", runner, but they're quick and they get good feet and they get good hands. So where does that position translate, you know, on the field? Just about everywhere. It's funny because at 13 years old, Casey Martin was a catcher. And that's what he came over to our prospect program as he's a catcher. He was quick, quick release, and was a dirt bag back there that was going to block anything in sight. So you've seen that transition before. And some people have talked about Peyton Holt being a catcher. Peyton Holt has never caught a day in his life. Well, he may have back in Little League or something. But talking to Coach Tyler Sawyer from Crowder, like he, he never caught for them. They've got two or three catchers back there. So he's able to play second, third, short. He played shortstop. He can play the corner outfield because he's got a good arm. You got a guy like Easton Swafford who was shortstop at Southside B Branch. He can play second. I'm pretty sure Stovall, and I think we're all three, all four of us are in agreement here, Stovall is going to be our second baseman, right? Yeah. Uh, they pretty much said, look, that's yours, Peyton. You 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 proved enough during the second half of the season. Came back. You did your job by playing first. Now we're going to get you in a, a better situation for you from a pro perspective, pro level, and scouts can get to see him in the middle infield. Uh, then you got the guys like Harold Cole, um, Isaac Webb, those guys, and there's a separating factor that you see. I think Cole has more flash. He has more power in the bat he's got more thump as you would say uh, more a higher propensity to hit bombs but he's got a higher propensity to strike out uh, we saw that I think he struck out 50 or 60 times for San Jack last year so you got somebody that could stay at shortstop Webb maybe could move to a second uh, Holt can move to third so you got a lot of interchangeable parts that uh, that staff knew Josenberger he's kind of a versatile guy I don't think he stays in the middle he's going to, have to go to a corner outfield spot so you've got a few outfielders already on the roster. Now you get those athletic guys that can go get it and get it done, uh, maybe from a level. Look at Ethan Bates. And I think Ethan Bates, if he would have stayed at Arkansas this year, would have played in front of Zach Gregory. I just do. That's just being around him, knowing his bat, knowing his work ethic, I think he would have played. 
Um, he's going to go to Louisiana Tech next year and may play second base, but he, we know he can play corner outfield as well. So that's why they get so many of those guys because they're interchangeable and they're versatile. Ethan Swap, um, he can play any position on the infield, except first base is not very tall, but second, third, short, doesn't matter. And he can play corner outfield. He's a six six runner, so but uh, the the bat plays, and I think it's going to help him down the line play a lot for Arkansas. Now, based All on right. what you just said, hold, can I, I want to jump in here. Yeah. Based on what you just said about Ethan Bates and Zach Gregory, does that mean that you were not surprised when Gregory decided to, to transfer out? <laughs> yeah, it, it he kind of saw the writing on the wall, thinking, okay, well, my time, I've gotten everything I can get out of the University of Arkansas. And you guys probably remember this, and what we talked about on the Diamond Hogs podcast that if you look at everybody in that lineup that they had this year, everybody's a pro prospect but one player. That's Zach Gregory. He did he did the job he was asked to do. He helped the ball club every way good. What does he do? He gets on base. That's what they needed out of him in that nine hole and play some good outfield, make some flashy catches every now and then, but we're not expecting a ton out of you. And that's what he did. Now he can move on to the second phase of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I of course we had an emotional investment into Gregory. So absolutely, like, it was it was. I feel like it hit it hit at least myself, probably Robert, Christian. You came on late. I don't know how much you, of a fan of Gregory's you were. I, I don't know if it was as much like we were fans or it's just like we really liked posting that Moneyball clip. Yeah, I'm a huge Moneyball fan. Exactly. Huge. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but. Before we move on, I do want to remind everybody that uh, one of the big reasons that we're doing the the podcast in this live form is for you to be able to interact with us as well. So if you have any questions or anything, type it in the chat wherever you're watching, and we will get to it. Shout out our man, Dwayne Stanrich, always commented on the YouTube. He commented already. So uh, love you, Dwayne. You're the man. We uh, we notice you, and we appreciate you. But, uh, yeah, get your questions in here because we might not ask or talk about something that you want. Um, and we might not talk about everybody that you want to hear about. So uh, I want to move on to the two big freshmen that didn't get drafted. Um, or Mason, Mason Neville, he got drafted, but he didn't sign. And then Jason Jones. Yep. Uh, a lot of talk around those two guys, especially during the draft, uh, after the draft when Neville announced that, you know, he's going to come to campus, he's not going to sign. Jones not getting drafted, a surprise to some people. Um Rumors flying around. I don't. I don't really want to talk about rumors, especially uh, when yeah. it's something that I'm not confident in. But uh, we've heard stuff. We've talked to people, and so what? What is the expectation for those two guys? Because if you just look at you know their their rating, their prospect rating coming into Fayetteville, it seems like they would be two really good guys for this team. But we know that that doesn't always work out. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say my little bit about it and then let, let Robert and Christian take it. So, Net Neville, got to talk to him, interviewed him on Drive Time Sports uh, the day after the draft. It was a really cool situation. Uh, he, I was able to get a hold of him. And, I, in fact, the set on the last day of the draft when he told me I'm coming to Arkansas and we posted about it, <laughs> told Mason. And two minutes later, Cincinnati picks him, and I'm like, ain't nothing to worry about. They took him on a flyer. For the fans that are watching, listening, a flyer is there. There's no no, no risk, high reward selection. They they had a pick to waste. Okay, let's just throw money out there. Maybe it'll stick. That's what a flyer is. So the comps were to Cody Bellinger, and still are to Cody Bellinger. I tempering expectations for a guy to come in and playing center fielder for the Arkansas Razorbacks is a huge burden. Think of the guys that we've had out there, Christian Franklin. And Braden Webb had a great year, you know. Uh, slow start, did his thing. Christian Franklin, Andrew Benintendi, uh, Dominic Fletcher, mm-hmm. uh, my man, Brett Eibner, going way back, Craig Gentry, you know, Major League Baseball players, first-round draft picks, Golden Spikes winners. Man, what a line, what a lineage, you know. So he's going to come in and play hard. 6'3", I would say 180, 185. Really fluid left-handed stick. Um, The hit tool does need some work. He does have some pop, but he tends to get extended too early to where he doesn't have a lot of pop behind the ball. So when he is swinging, his, his, his bottom hand, which is his right arm, 
gets extended at contact, so there's not much punch behind the ball. That's what I mean when I say he gets extended early. And that's something that he knows he needs to work on. So that Coach Thompson's going to help him with that. He's a very fast athlete. He's 6'2", 5'6", 3", runner. He's going to be the fastest kid on campus as far as baseball goes. Good arm. He pitches. He's up to 90, 92 from the outfield. So I think he's going to be a project in terms of offensively, but he's going to be somebody that can patrol the big green ocean, like I like to say. So, and with Jason Jones, last year at this time, I would say no no chance he gets to campus because he was playing with a couple of guys. You know, he picked up a couple of tournaments with the sticks. He grew up playing with the Dallas Tigers. I know a lot of guys in that organization, a lot of guys that I really trust. And Jones has a lot of power in his bat. He's a big athlete. He made some Derek Jeter-type plays last summer. Um, went into a training regiment where he put on a little bit of weight and his body matured. So the actual number, how much weight did he gain? 20, 30 pounds, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at this point. But he gained a little bit of weight to where he is not going to be able to play shortstop anymore. They don't like the mobility at that position. So third's uh, the next best option or first, maybe a corner outfield. The hit tool, and I'm hitting and power are two different things for our listeners, and y'all know that. But he couldn't handle really good pitching. And when I say really good pitching, I'm talking the elite level stuff that you're going to see in the SEC. You know, 92, 93, fastball with run in on you and then exploding sliders. The stuff that first-round draft picks are made out of is in the SEC. He's going to have to adjust to that. He never hit over 400 while at his high school. That's, you know, kind of a red flag. If you're going to be a dude and go in the first two rounds, you better hit over 400. You better put up Jackson Holiday, Tamar Johnson-type numbers and hit 585. I don't care what league you're playing in. So that that that's a question mark right there. And he was just out of shape, it seemed like. But – Everybody thought that, you know, he would never make a campus. He does. And it's just a matter of if he's going to go out there and be that first-round draft pick that everybody thought he was going to be, or is he going to be a bust? That's a possibility. It happens all the time. We've seen top 100 guys get to campus and not make it to the spring. happens every year. So uh, what will Jason Jones be? Only time will tell. Yeah. Well, I have a question. So for with Mason Neville, what, what happened with his draft stock? Why did he – like drop out of getting drafted really high at all? And then like, what did it have anything to do with coming to campus? Did, did Arkansas do anything to make it? Yeah. To, yeah. To so, to so talking to him, he let clubs know that he really wanted to go to camp, really wanted to go to school. And that was something that I could not get out of him or his team camp, whatever you want to call it early on. Every, every sign pointed to him being drafted. So I'm guessing he had a number just like Caden Wallace did, Jackson Wiggins did coming out of high school, like everybody coming out of high school did. And the major league clubs weighed, okay, are the deficiencies or lack of tools, would we be willing to pay for that? And would we be willing to pay it at a high level? So I'm guessing between 1.5 and 2 million. That's what I would say would would, would be his number. And clubs weren't really – ready to do that so that puts him on campus he gets to work at it for a couple years or three years because he's a three-year guy he's a younger guy and he's going to be able to get into the top three round range to where he could possibly make that money Mm -hmm. all right uh i want to talk some more about i guess we should probably hit the pitching staff too we haven't really talked about that at all uh of course you're returning will mcintyre uh hagan smith Jackson Wiggins, Zach Morris, a lot of really good arms returning. Uh, and then they're bringing in some good ones like Cody Frank, Hunter Holland uh, from San Jack. And then they've got uh, – who am I missing? I missed I missed the transfer, didn't I? Uh, Cody, Cody Adcock, but I, we don't know how much he'll throw. He's had injury problems. But uh, of those guys, maybe, maybe the returning guys, but I really want to talk about the freshman guys. And Cabo, yeah. I mean, that's why we have you here. Because uh, you know a lot more about them, you're coaching some of them. You 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 coach against a lot of them. Of the freshman guys, we know Cole Phillips. He signed with the Braves, so he's not going to make it to campus. But uh, who do who do you look at and say this is someone who could probably make an impact as a freshman? Kind of like you know Hagen Smith and Brady Tiger did last year. Yeah. So if if you look at the class 
the original 19, it was broken down. I think there were 10 pitchers on it. And, you know, some some guys get their offers pulled late. Uh, Carter Boyd out of North Carolina, uh, I probably a preferred walk-on, but he, he got his offer pulled and going to Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got some really good arms in this class, though. So you got some really good guys that can pitch. And Gage Wood – Got to see him develop before my very own eyes, and it was funny because the summer before he got offered, he was 81 to 83, kind of soft around the midsection, you know, hadn't really got on weights that much yet. He was 15, 16, uh, really bought into it. Evan Lee started working with him, and he kind of took off. And he's 85, 88, now Kansas State comes calling. And for you guys that don't know, if you get offered by the Big 12, it's a four-year guaranteed scholarship. So no matter the percentage, it's guaranteed. SEC doesn't have that. So that's the thing that the Big 12 really has uh, an advantage in. If they offer you and say, hey, we want you here, then they have to honor it. So no matter if you, you know, everything falls apart, what have you. So that happened. He committed to Kansas State. And then during that time, we were like, Matt, you need to call, talking to Matt Hobbs. You need to come see this guy throw. He he would be a dude. Well, we want to see him. We want to see him. Well, the offer wasn't what they expected, but um, Gage took that as a chip on his shoulder and said, okay, look, I'm going to work at it and show him that we'll shove it. So the offer came back a little bit better the second time around, and that's where Gage decided he wanted to go. And next thing you know, he's 215 pounds. He's on campus. The fastball is 93, 94. Curveball is a 12, 6. He's got a slider. And he's got the potential to be a dude. Push for a potential rotations, a rotation spot on the weekend. So that's real. That's a guy that I really look at that it's his to lose. Uh, Cooper Dawson is has been talked about a long time because he was an early commit. Uh, Cooper's had some arm issues. He went out of the, the semifinal game against Bentonville, uh, came out after a couple innings. So there was some question about that. Um, he's healthy right now. He'll, he's uh, he's already on campus doing this stuff. So uh, I think Cooper, he has the the stuff. It's just if, is he going to be able to command it? Because when he's in the zone, he's tough to hit, and, and hitters he makes hitters really uncomfortable. He's got kind of that uh, wild side of him, kind of like Jackson Wiggins, where he might not know where it's going to go every now and then, but – when he zeroes in, he's really good. Um, Kristen Fouch is a kid that's a top 250, 275 guy by perfect game. He's going to be really good. You look at it, you know, out of Colorado, you don't get a whole lot of commits out of Colorado, but he's a low 90s guy. He's going to be really good. Uh, Parker Coyle, 6'3", uh, was top 250 on Baseball America's prospect for the MLB draft. High 80s, low 90s. Ball has some serious late run on it, and it's tough to pick up. He comes from that low three-quarter slot, and he gets on you pretty quick. So he's a three-pitch guy that, especially from the left side, that they're really going to like early on. Uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, a smaller kid, about 5'11", 6'5", needs to put on some weight. He's a mid-80s arm, but he's got that side arm slot that is really nasty. Uh, Really good uh, wipeout slider with that. So – um, Kendon Lovell got his offer pulled. Josh Heineman, Ben Bybee. Bybee is one that comes from Overland Park, uh, uh, Blue Southwest up there in that area where uh, Olathe, Kansas, Isaiah, Isaiah Campbell came out of, uh, Christian Franklin, Robert Moore, Overland Park area. Big, tall righty, 6'5", 6'6", low 90s. Really shot up draft boards. And one draft board had him a top 50, top 60 candidate. So, uh, those guys are really, you know, if I had to put them in order, I would say Wood, Bybee, Cole, uh, Parker Coyle. Those are the guys that you really look at and say, okay, if they can come in and, and help day one, those would be the guys I say, yeah, go after it. So would you say that Wood is one of those guys that could kind of make an impact, kind of like uh, Tigert and uh, Hagen Smith did this last season? Yeah, uh, their curveballs are very similar in – I'll say this, Brady Tiger two years ago did not have that curveball. He had a slider that kind of had some, you know, had light bite to it and would kind of fall off the table. 
but that curveball, he didn't have that curveball. I, I, when he started throwing it, I was like, well, that's new. And then he, he got better with it. Was it, was it called too much? Yes. Cause he's got a really good fastball. And if yeah. you can locate your fastball and pitch off of that, he'll be unhittable. It, that's just one. It's, it's like a, it's a cops, Kevin cops esque pitch to where you know it's coming, but you can't do anything with it. So he develops that in a changeup. He has the potential to be a rotation spot. So uh, Gage Wood's curveball is really like that in terms of how it falls off the table. And it has induced some very ugly swings because <laughs> he's very high action with his windup and his motion. A lot like, let's see, what, what's a good example? Uh, Walker Bueller with the Los Angeles uh, Dodgers, you know, very high impact and he's firing the glutes and getting, getting yeah. effort. So, uh, Barrett Lowski is another one that, that comes to mind. So you got all these arms and elbows and knees flying at you, and then you got 95. Next thing you know, an 81 mile per hour curveball that starts at your chest and falls right into the mitt, and you look silly. So that has the potential to do that. And then Coyle's kind of the same way from the left side. He's going to give batters fits and he's going to make people very uncomfortable. I don't think the velo's quite where Hagen's is. And Hagen came in as a very mature 17-year-old. As you know, he just turned – about to turn 19. Uh, Coyle's body is not that mature yet, but the stuff is very similar. Nice. So, I want to – there are five returning arms that I want to ask about and what you sort of envision their roles being. Um, the, the three guys that – I mean, it seems like if they're basing it off of 2022 postseason performance, the three guys that seem like they would get to start are probably Hagen Smith, Will McIntyre, Zach Morris. Now, I imagine Tiger gets a shot at that too. Uh, I think you posted on Twitter maybe a couple weeks ago that Jackson Wiggins is like the number twenty college prospect on on uh, next year's draft board. Yeah. How does how does he fit into this equation um, as as far as the Arkansas pitching staff goes too? You know, I think Jackson showed enough, especially in the first half of the season, where he could go five or six innings and be relied upon as a starter. Um, I think as Jackson, he's working with Marshall Angus Denton this summer, Dustin Mosley, uh, to work on a few things. And being 6'6 is tough because you got to get all the levers going in the same same motion, and there's a lot of kinesiology that goes with it, but that's where Jackson needs to really hone in because he's got the arm talent you can't teach. He's you know been up to 100. ESPN has flashed 101 before. I know we've seen it on the bomb stadium board, but you know, that fastball and the changeup, the changeup is an MLB pitch. The slider's gotten better. We saw from year one to year two how much better that has gotten. So if he's able to do that over a longer period of time, I think he starts. If he comes into camp and struggles with it, they're gonna put him at the back end of the bullpen and use him as a closer, use him as a setup guy like that, like they did as a freshman. And I like that role for him. I like him coming in with three outs and him able to throw 98 to 101 with an 84-mile-per-hour changeup and say, good luck. Okay, hit this. No matter what you've seen before it, you know it's going to be 99 to 100. And that's tough to catch up with. I don't care if it's flat. It's still 100 miles per hour. So I think that's going to be the, the question for him. Um uh, and the, the other guys you mentioned, Zach Morris, do they want that veteran in the bullpen or do they want him as a starter? That's the only question I have about Zach. I think he can start. But I think Zach has a lot more than 88 to 90 in his fastball. He's 6'3", 220, been up to 94, 95 in the past, his freshman year, the COVID year. So can they get that out of him? He's a year more with, with the new windup and everything to where he's not so tilted back you know, as he gets over his front side. So that's going to help his curveball quite a bit. Can he develop a changeup? That's what he needs. Every left-handed pitcher, that's the second pitch they should ever learn is a changeup. So that's got to get better. Um, and you, for those two guys, that's kind of what I see for them, and they'll have to answer that question early on. So, but as far as, like, a lefty guy goes, you you got Morris, you got Hagen-Smith, you were really counting on Bosnick making it. Uh that it seems like the best transfer arm that they brought in is Cody Frank, and he fits that role of kind of what you're talking about with Morris as an experienced guy in the bullpen. I think he can be that. 
um, you know, maybe a kind of like Will McIntyre was for most of this or the second half of the season where, you know, he's a guy who can start a game, but he can also give you quality innings out of the bullpen, but he's a righty. Like yeah. they, and so it's like if Hagen Smith is starting games, then they're going to obviously want a left-handed bullpen guy. That's probably going to, you would think Morris is going to start over, or uh, Smith is going to start over Morris. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough. You know, you got to see how fall ball is, how they're looking at the spring. A, lo- a lot of time left, which is good for them. But I think what a lot of people are most curious about, and if you look at Twitter and message boards, especially on the message boards over at hogbeat.com, go subscribe to hogbeat.com right now. Uh, best baseball content in Arkansas sports coverage. I promise that. Myself, Cabo, Robert, we're doing a great job over there. Uh, best basketball coverage as well. Jackson Collier, JC Hoops, doing a great job. Just got to plug all that stuff. And we'll, we'll also have the best football coverage as well. That's so, right. Um, but uh, I think that everybody wants to know what's this lineup going to look like because everybody keeps putting out their projected lineups. It seems like every time Arkansas got a transfer, I saw a new projected lineup. Yeah. And so Stovall is going to be in the lineup. Yeah. Um, Slavens, he's going to be in the lineup. The yeah. thing about Slavens, though, is he's probably got to play first base now, right? Because, I mean, you had him as a DH for most of this past season because you were playing Stovall at first. But it's like, I don't know who else would play at first other than like maybe Kendall Diggs, um, Caleb Cowley. But like, I don't know if Cowley's good enough to be in the lineup at this point um, because I I haven't seen the guy play, so I don't know. But you think those two guys, probably Kendall Diggs, Probably Jace Borfin. Josenberger's probably in the lineup. Wegner, you got to think he's probably in the lineup. What do you think of where people are going to be? Because uh, that's, I mean, that's the question everybody wants to know. What's the lineup going to look like? I keep getting asked, who's going to play short? Who's going to play first? Who's going to play catcher? So yeah. let's let Kevin Bohannon answer that. Yeah, and you know as much as I do about that. And we probably know as much as that coaching staff does because we don't know how they're going to react once those new guys get on campus and interact with the vets. How's the chemistry going to be? That's always been a huge thing with Dave Van Horn is the chemistry, how these guys fit in our system, our program. And that's why some of those guys have looked Blake Adams. We know what happened to Blake Adams. He had a bad game, punched a wall. You know, next thing you know, he's at Kansas state getting drafted. Okay, great. So they fit in or they leave quick. And I think you'll see that early. I think, Polk is behind the plate at first base. Is Slavin's going to be healthy? That's the big issue. He's having an ulnar nerve release. And that's not just something uh, – he's going to miss fall ball. It may, he may get to take some swings later on. So, that's why he didn't play Wait, much this year. On. Yeah, go back on that. I didn't know about that. Did, yeah, did so, Robert – did you know about that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I mean, I know I know health is always a, a question mark with Slavin's, but I, I didn't know of this – yeah, he, he had a nerve issue, and that's one of the reasons he really didn't play much in the field this year. Mm. That That's one of the big things about it. You know, he really couldn't be that effective at first base. So, definitely couldn't in the outfield. Um, so, yeah, first base or DH for him. And uh, so, where does Kendall Diggs fit in? If Diggs is swinging it like he is now, he's going to be in the lineup. And he's just going to have to be now. Do they give a 23-year-old guy, and this is where a little coaching philosophy comes into play, a 23-year-old guy who's been in the program for his third year, been in college baseball for four or five years now, do they let him show scouts what he can do in the field, or do you give your up-and-coming prospect that shot at first base? Do you platoon them? Switch them out. They're both left-handed hitters, so it's not going to be based on pitching matchup. Whoever's the best defender is going to play there because I think they'll both hit and they'll both hit for power, but I think Diggs is going to hit for a better average. Um, I think we've seen that through summer ball so far. He has the ability to go the other way more. Maybe Slavens will learn and surprise us all. I know, Robert. Um, so, second base Stovall. I think Harold Cole is your shortstop. I've just seen way too much of him in the past compared to everybody else to think otherwise. Third base is going to be a battle. Uh, McLaughlin, uh, I know he went to Hutch, Hutchinson Community College is not a powerhouse, uh, but you got a gold glove guy 
yeah, he hit 18 bombs in Kansas, but I'm pretty sure I could hit 10 up there now because the wind's always blowing out no matter what field you're playing on in Kansas, Oklahoma, Juco. It's always like that. Um, him and Jason Jones are going to battle it out over there. Um, and if Jason Jones doesn't win out, maybe he transfers. I don't know. Um, but that, that'll that be some – and the wild card is, is Cali, like you said. You know, coming from Florida, you know, the Florida Juco ranks uh, is something when you can put up the numbers like he did. So – He's going to figure into that corner infield spot as well. So if you go into the outfield, uh, I think Wagner's your right fielder. I think, uh, you know, Borfin maybe, you know, left. He, he came, he wanted to play center. So uh, did they move him over to left now that Neville's there? I think Mason has the biggest shot uh, to be that center fielder. Um, and then you got somebody like Peyton Holt that can maybe be that fourth guy or Easton Swafford. So they have options. Uh, the guys that I mentioned are probably the front runners for those positions, but it's going to be who's hits, who hits and who is the most consistent guy. And they're going to have a more competitive fall than they've ever had. Last year it was on the mound. This year it's going to be in the field because like this last fall, we had all the position guys back and they're like, wow, um, we, we know what we got. And we feel really lucky about that. And we all talked to coach Van Horn He's like, well, we're going to score 11 runs. Well, we found out really early that wasn't the case. The pitching staff bailed them out. So completely opposite this year. A lot of expectations for the pitching, like you let off in the show, Mason. But the competition is going to be at the next level. And a lot of times competition brings out the best in athletes. And maybe that's what they're expecting with some of these guys. And one name I didn't mention that you did, Mason, was Josenberger. Where is he going to fit in this equation? He's a top 50 prospect two years ago, and he went to Kansas. Um, Kansas is not a baseball powerhouse by any means, but you know, athletes come from all shapes and sizes and all forms and all places. So uh, maybe he's that Swiss Army knife that can do just about everything that they ask of and gets into the lineup. Yeah, Josenberger is a guy that I feel like I kind of – adopted him as my favorite guy that they got in the portal for a, a few reasons. Um, I think that he's better than a lot of people, you know, reacted. I agree. I, and like a lot of people were really disappointed because they just looked at his average and they were like, oh, this dude sucked. He hit that at Kansas. But it's like, I mean, he had multiple 20 plus game hitting streaks and he yeah. had like a 29 game on base streak. And so that then leads me into he gets on base and so I can then keep the money ball clip going for Tavian Josenberger. He just yeah. gets on base. So, but I, I I genuinely think that I mean you mentioned how he was a he was a top prospect a few years ago. I mean going into last year, they, he was listed as one of the top prospects for yeah December. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's like um, I think he he played outfield. I, I think he played center his freshman year at Kansas, right? Yeah, and then he played second last year. So he could play in the infield. He could play in the outfield. Like he's he's another one of those guys, as a, as is most of the guys on this current roster, that you know they can be spread out in a lot of different places that you're talking about. And I I think, and you know we talked about it earlier. I think catcher obviously is the the biggest position of question right now. Are we? I mean, you talked about it, Cabo Robert. Were you pretty shocked as well? Of like. Because I, I feel like we kept thinking they were going to get that big splash at catcher. And Dave Van Horn, I asked him about big splash, and he was like, I didn't say big splash, but I said that we're going to get somebody. And so I, I, I just thought that they were going to get somebody better. I mean, that, that last time that we talked to him, he sort of hinted that somebody like Skeens, I think is who you're alluding to, might come here. And, uh, you know, it didn't happen. They didn't land the big splash guy. I don't. I don't know. I mean, thing is, like Cabo said it earlier, right? We we sit here and we talk about it, but none of it means anything because we haven't seen him play yet. Like I'm I'm hesitant to, you know, voice my thoughts or even have thoughts at all because I just <laughs> I just don't know what the team is going to look like. Like I know football season starts tomorrow, but I'm I'm really am I'm very anxious for fall ball. I just well, want I just want to see these dudes on a field again. I need you to say something that'll uh, that'll be a headline. Robert Stewart says that Hudson Polk sucks behind the plate and he'll never play a, a game at Arkansas. That's what I mean, we need. You, we you have, have this... to keep that label as most hated guy by the Arkansas baseball team. 
<laughs> I, I no, I I think uh, I think somebody took that label from me, and I'm not gonna try to get it back. <laughs> right, I forgot about that. I think it, a lot of people have forgotten about that. I, well, yeah. I I thought that's what you were alluding to. Like we we did this we did this little exercise where you try to get me to say something toward the end of the, toward the end of the postseason run there. You're like, you got to fire them up, Robert. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Well, I guess they didn't need to be fired up. They were already fired. It's up, not going to cost me my career. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Good for you. Um, but yeah, the, the way I look at this team is Kevin, you talked about it. A lot of competition is going to happen in the fall. Uh, returning a lot of pitchers. Um, so that's, that's really good for them. Uh, talked to a lot of people. They said they're probably going to have to win games, you know, one to nothing, two to nothing a lot next year, unless these guys that we're looking at and because realistically, and at least for, for myself, for Robert, for most people who are talking about most of these transfers and freshmen, we haven't seen them play any baseball. Any. Yeah. We're, we're, we're just looking at their stat line. We're looking at, you know, their average, their RBIs. We're looking at their on-base percentage, and we're judging them based off of that. And I think we all know that that, that means nothing. Yeah. And so um, it, it really comes down to what they're going to look like in a Razorback uniform, and most of them have not worn that yet. So I think it's going to be interesting. Um, before, we, before we wrap this up, I want to ask, um, I think I should just ask this broad question because we always ended episodes with season MV, uh, weekend MVPs. I yeah. think maybe we should like predict guys that we we think are going to be the the biggest impact newcomer for next season on this episode because we're not going to have a Diamond Hawks podcast until fall ball. So yeah, why not? So I'll let uh, who's ready because I don't want to just put somebody on the spot. <laughs> not not you, Robert Christian. I, I, I'll I'll right. go with that. <laughs> okay, go go okay. okay. I'm going to go with Cody Frank, and the reason I say that, yeah, he's a D1 Power Five transfer. That's obvious. But the uproar that was caused in Lincoln, Nebraska, when he announced he was transferring, was epic. We heard mm-hmm. it in Little Rock, Arkansas, in Sherwood, Arkansas, where I live, and we have a Nebraska prospects program. It's our sister program. The guy that, that was down here running our high school showcase runs Nebraska now. And Coach Jacob Wegner and Cody, they were expecting him. He's going to be an all-Big 12, you know, borderline all-American type guy for them because he was going to be their dude. And to lose somebody like that to Arkansas what was heartbreaking for them. And knowing that, I feel really good about his chances here. Yeah. I, I, I like Cody Frank. Speaking of him, I, I got the chance to talk with him a couple of days after he committed. Really interesting story. I mean, he he didn't have a single offer. He had one single JUCO offer coming out yep. of high school, and he didn't even go there. He went to a different school um, when they got it. He went to Eastern Oklahoma State, where uh, Roland's from, yep. and, and Webb. And so then – and he wasn't even a starting pitcher. The first game he started there, he threw a, a no-hitter. Or was yeah. it a – was it a shutout or a no-hitter? I can't remember. I know it's it was a shutout. Story. I have to look on the no-hitter. Yeah, it, it's in my story over at hogbeat.com. Just go subscribe to hogbeat.com, and you can get all that information you need. Uh, all right, all right, Christian, Robert, one of y'all ready, or should I go? I can take it. All right. Um, I think this this may sort of be an easy answer, but I'm going to gonna go with Jared Wegner, um, mm-hmm. another one of the dudes coming from D1. If you look at it, his OPS was very, very close to 1,100 last year. Uh, I think he had 11 bombs, um, played at that big, big yard um, at at TD Ameritrade, excuse me, Charles Schwab. Um, and, and like, I feel like 11 home runs there is not insignificant. And that's, that's a, that's a big yard. Um, you know, I feel like we heard so many times about the wind at Baumwalker Stadium uh, this year. So, you know, maybe if he can put a, another 11 down, then the hogs are going to be in good shape. I feel like with his with his back coming in from Creighton. Do we? I, I when I look at Wagner, I I immediately and this is probably just recency bias. I immediately think Chris Lanzilli, like he's the next yeah. Chris Lanzilli. Yeah. Okay. yeah, me too. Yeah, and, but I think I also think that he might end up being the DH if Slavin's plays first. 
because who else would DH? I mean, Diggs could, depending on if he ends yeah. up somewhere in the field. But, I mean, Wagner, just based off of his 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 batting stats from Creighton, which this is another one of the things, all I've seen of Wagner is him hitting a single home run. But he should probably be in the lineup. You yeah. Know? Okay. And he was in, in the running for Big East Player of the Year. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is, like, like Robert said, you hit 11 by, and I don't care who they're against. You hit one out of Charles Schwab, Ameritrade, uh, Rosenblatt Stadium. It doesn't matter. It goes. And that that's a big deal. So um, I think he makes an impact too. Y'all remember that uh, that one that Slavin's hit to straight straightaway center? What, 436? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That Broke Pete crazy. Alonzo's record from 2015. That's crazy. Yeah. Alonzo had a bad year that. hitting home runs. Yeah. Took his home run title away from him, and now he doesn't have the longest home run at, at uh in Omaha anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. He has had a tough tough month, really. I mean that that all came within a month. Yeah. Look, look, Cable. I'm glad that you said something. And Christian, I'll let you go here in a minute because we got to yeah. talk about Juan Soto once we're done here. Because Robert's oh, yeah. here, yes. I would like to see him cry. Yeah. On, on live I have thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Christian. So, I, we mentioned him earlier, but I think the the big impact guys. Potentially could be Harold Cole. Well, is he is he gonna fight for shortstop or you know an infield position? Is he gonna be able to hit some hit some homers every now and then? And I mean, after the way Jalen Battles played this year, defensively and offensively at times, who's gonna be that guy to step up in the you know in the middle of the infield, the middle of the lineup, or the beginning of the lineup? Um, Harold Cole has the potential to do that. And like we've been saying just recently, like we haven't seen much of these guys, so we'll see how they play in the SEC. But I was. Early on with Harold Cole and, and Wagner as well, I was I think those are the two guys that will probably have the most impact this this next year. Cabo, is it Mason Neville or Neville? I've said Neville, but I've heard a lot. Randy on draft time says Neville or Neville. Uh, I think that's old school with the old school singer. Um, but we gotta I, go I to the source on this one. Yeah. yeah, I say Neville, and I corrected Mason one time. So, and you said, yeah, Neville. I was about to say I got burned on this podcast for saying <laughs> Neville. Yeah, so go I think Neville Cabo, and nobody said anything. Like it was okay. <laughs> he could say it however he wants. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I'm gonna <laughs> ask him. I'm gonna ask where, where the emphasis on the syllable is. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, I'm gonna go with him as my yeah. impact player, cool. uh, impact newcomer, um, because he has a great name. Um, yeah. Cabo, you talked me into him because the the athleticism is one thing, especially in the outfield. That's something that they really lacked last yeah. season. I mean, we heard that Braden Webb was like the greatest center fielder in Arkansas baseball history, but I don't <laughs> think that was the case. And so uh, I think that they need someone there in center field who can be that center field playmaker that you think of when you think of an Arkansas center fielder. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's a that was a top prospect for a reason. And so I think that – if any of the freshmen are going to come in and make an impact first year, he's he's got to be the guy, right? And so that's why I'm choosing him. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Juan Soto, Christian, take it away, man. Man. So yeah, I was I was up early this morning, just sitting on my phone, scrolling Twitter, just like re refreshing, refreshing, just trying to see when it would finally happen. And my I had him going to the Cardinals, and and I was talking to a lot of my buddies, you know at softball and just like at church and stuff. And I'm like, he has to go to the Cardinals. It's the best fit. They have the most prospects and major league talent available with Gorman and get uh, Dylan Carlson. And I was, I thought that it was going to happen, but apparently the Cardinals weren't willing to give Carlson up, which makes sense. Cause he's like probably their one of their better players right now. Um, but for Juan Soto, I was like, there's no way they're not going to do it. And then the Padres of course swooped in. I think the Padres are just like, we cannot let the Dodgers get him. I think the Dodgers were a close second, but yeah, that's my initial thoughts on that. So I saw I saw that they uh, they jumped up the the Nationals jumped up from like the twentieth ranked farm system to like number six just based off that trade. It it wow. was eight, and if you include Mackenzie Gore, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you include him, I, I think he reached recently graduated from prospect status or something like uh -huh. that. But if you include him, they jumped up to five. Yeah. So here's so, the thing. Like Christian just said, um, they they the the Padres swooped in to beat the Dodgers, and you know what? I respect that. I don't hate the destination. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Cable. Sorry about that. No, you're good. I, I'm a I'm a Dodgers fan, so I kind of hated to see it. And I'm not <laughs> saying I'm not a Dodgers fan because of 
the home risens and lately, but I remember the four straight rookie of the years with Piazza Caros, Mondesi, go on, what have you. So well, I've seen Abrams, I've seen Mackenzie Gore, mm-hmm. I've seen Robert Hassel of third play. That's a McKenzie was the number three pick. Abrams mm-hmm. was number six, and Hassel's number eight. So you got three top ten picks. I didn't even look at James Wood. But I think what was Gore? I think Gore was up there too. Yeah, he was in yeah, oh, Mackenzie oh, Gore number three. Yeah, okay. he went third overall. And then yeah. Susana and <laughs> Luke Voigt. I mean, good lord, what a haul. So wow. yeah, they gave up they gave up the farm, literally, to get him. But you know, now you got him, Manny, and Tatis Jr. I mean that's I know, I know you were upset. Yeah. Robert, you were upset that the Nationals didn't get Kevin Coffs in that deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was hoping I'd at least get that consolation prize. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I was really hoping that Soto went to the Dodgers because I know how much it would have broken Robert's heart. And, yeah, uh, and you would have mercilessly so bullied me for the next <laughs> until yeah. he gets free agency. Every I would have, you know, I was out. listening to a podcast recently that said Trey Turner is one of like the the top three players in baseball right now, and I was just like, didn't he used to play for the Nationals? <laughs> and now he's on the Dodgers. Yeah, just like Anthony Rendon, just like Bryce Harper. I, it, can you believe that all four of those guys were on the same team in 2018, and yeah, and Washington failed to resign. Every yeah. single one of them. There's a pretty good pitcher too, wasn't there? Yeah, he wasn't Scherzer. homegrown though. I think that's wow. his name. Yeah, was was Schwarber on that team? No, not on not in 2018. No, no. Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer was the best free agent money the Nationals have ever spent. That's um, absolutely so correct. I, I, I think the best, they yeah. they got what they needed out of Scherzer. I'm not as upset about that one, but the fact that the four position players are all homegrown. And, you know, they said they were going to save money on Harper to sign Rendon. They said that they were going to save money on Rendon to sign Turner. They said they were going to save money on Turner to sign Soto. And now Soto's gone. So who's so next? They, they ended up signing. Hey, that's not their fault. They offered him $440 million. So Okay. I I think it was an unfortunate leak, honestly, because okay. I, I understand the deal from both sides. Like, yeah, that's that's the most aggressive offer the Nats have ever presented. There was no way Soto was going to accept it because 15 years is too long for anything. There's mm-hmm. also an ownership change going on. Like I understand he wants to see who the new, new ownership group is. Yeah. And obviously the AAV wasn't nearly what it needed to be. So it, it sucks, but you know, maybe, here we maybe are. if they would have flown him on their, on their jet to the home <laughs> run derby, then he, he might've signed with the nationals, but that's tough. That, that, was that wasn't going to make a difference. And then he ended up winning the home run derby anyways. So. Yeah. yeah. Screw it. I'll, I'll win anyway. Yeah. It, it's it's just crazy that it's the the best player you've ever had wear the uniform and he's gone before he's even hit his prime probably. Yeah, can't, he he can't even rent a car like or, or I rent know. a condo in Florida. Oh, you gotta be yeah. twenty five to rent a condo was, in Florida. I know he was drinking grape juice when they won the pennant in twenty nineteen. <laughs> like, the interesting thing will be too: do they do the Padres resign him or does he go to free agency? Well, I know Scott Boris wants him to go to free agency, so. That that hall he's going to free agency. I I think it's more likely the Padres trade him before he becomes a free agent than he Absolutely. signs an extension before yeah. he goes yeah. to free agency. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. But so so Cabo, I was gonna say you said you're a Dodgers fan. So I know last season those Dodgers and Padres series, every one of them were electric. Yeah, like they were so fun to watch, and I think that this just kind of is gonna reignite that, like going into the postseason. Yeah, it does. And you know the Padres, the the best uniforms they had were. Right when Tony Gwynn at, at the end of the Tony Gwynn era, when they had the, the when they went to the World Series with the dark blue and you know they got away from the brown and the baby puke gold, but now they got those back and that seems to be the hip hop new thing now. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> actually, yeah. was that one of those series series last year at Petco, uh, wearing the Dodger blue and oh, so awesome. So yeah, it's it's gonna create that rivalry that I think it it was needed and. Because there's so much emphasis on the East Coast with the Yankees and the Red Sox that that type of rivalry was lacking on mm-hmm. the left coast. And now you kind of got that uh, reignition, like you said, it's, it's been reignited for sure. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. 
boys, that's going to do it for us on uh, this this season, this whole season of the Diamond Hawks yeah. podcast. Um, we'll have some episodes during fall ball, so be looking out for that. But until then, we'll have some football content. Got a new football podcast coming out in like the next few days. We also have the Recruiting Hogs podcast. You can check all that out at hogbeat.com and on the Hogbeat YouTube. So go subscribe to both of those. But uh, thank you guys and thank you everybody for listening. We loved it. It was a great season and we cannot wait until next season. Thanks, Gabo. See you guys. Thanks for having me again. Yep. You've been listening to the Diamond Hogs podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Chote Mason and at DRStew32.